Hey everybody, this is Chris Van Garrett with Van Garrett Media. I am the producer of the hashtag share your hottest podcast with Lita Green. And I wanted to let you know these next couple of episodes are going to be a little bit different. We decided to switch things up a little bit. I got the bright idea of interviewing Lita for her own podcast. Very meta. But you know, I realized that a lot of people know Lita, but do you know Lita? Do you really know where she comes from? Do you know how she got to be from a trucker's daughter living out of Flying J Travel Plazas to being the person she is today, to being a world-renowned speaker and best-selling author and to being hotness? But you probably don't know. I didn't know some of this stuff before I talked to Lita about it. So we thought it would be a really good idea to kind of turn the tables and change things up a little bit to where Lita is the one being interviewed. And uh, I stepped up to do it. It's been a little while since I've interviewed anybody, so I would love to hear your feedback on this. But this is going to be part one of a two-part series. Uh, in this first episode, we get into Lita's past, uh, where she comes from, how she she grew up. And in part two, we get into some really good content about where... Uh, her life has taken her and what the future is for Lita Green. I know you're going to love that. But without further ado, here is part one of my interview with Lita Green for the hashtag Share Your Hotness podcast. Please do enjoy. This program is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The views expressed are those of the panelists and not necessarily those of Sengents, Glamour Connection, Van Garrett Media, their respective management, contractors, or employees. This podcast produced by Van Garrett Media. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast. Share your hotness. Now, here's your host, Lita Green. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Share Your Hotness podcast with your host, Lita Green. I am Lita Green. No, I'm not. I can't. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Lita Green. I am Chris Van Garrett. I am the host, not the host, I am the producer and semi-co-creator of the hashtag Share Your Hotness podcast. I'm the, the, the geek. I'm the nerd behind the scenes. So what I do is I add the cheesy music, I take out the grunts and farts from Lita and make it sound really good. Now, there aren't that many. Admittedly, there are more than the guests. I do remove their grunts and farts too. Not you, David Whittison, you were fine. But everybody else, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of Diet Coke consumed in the Salt Lake Valley, that's all I'm gonna say. But no, my job is to make everybody sound great. And I hope that I do that job well. I do it to the best of my ability. And uh, I got to talking to Lita about this podcast. We've got uh, quite a few episodes under our belt now. And we were speaking about all of the great guests that she's had on, all of the wonderful stories that have been told, all of the lessons that we've all learned from listening to this podcast, of which there have been many. And I realized that while the stories and the lessons have all been great, we don't really know the story of Lita herself. We don't really know where she comes from and how she got to be hotness, right? So... I thought it would be a good idea to kind of turn the tables a little bit. I'd hear this story because unless you've seen Lita's speeches in public, unless you've actually met her in public, unless you've shaken her hand and been able to, to hang out with this person on a daily basis or even a weekly basis, maybe you don't know the full story. Maybe you don't know the full Lita Green the way that I do, dang it. And there are people out there that really need to know. So I thought it would be a really cool opportunity to take, take an episode, to turn the tables a little bit, to actually do the interviewing on my side and to hear from the host of the Share Your Hotness podcast, Lita Green, about her story. So with no further ado, ladies, gentlemen, and 
fellow badasses. I give you the one, the only, the unsinkable Lita Green. Wow, I feel like I should have theme music. Excellent. The, the IT that we have here is the best because Van Garrett Media is handling it. Thank you so much. And with all of that and being on my own podcast, I think we should use the royal we. I, I think that's good. I think that's good. The, the royal we is in effect. Oh, he did the British accent. I did indeed. <laughs> yes. It's not very good. And to our, our three listeners in the Great Britain, I'm not mocking you. I'm actually... Anyways. No, no. Okay. But we, we will not have me do a British accent because then they will truly be offended and leave because Probably. as we well know, you are better at accents than I am. Uh, it's, it's a sliding scale. Really. So I am a total Anglophile and love all things British except for shepherd's pie. In, well, I see and I love shepherd's pie. I, I, I like it made well, here, but there's a little bit too much technically lard. Irish? Oh, good. Because there was too much lard when I had it in the UK. They, they, yeah, um, I, I've not been to the UK, but my family is from the UK. Um, that, that seems consistent with what I know about a lot of cuisine from our friends from the mother country. So, yes, you're like <laughs> yeah. scraping it off the top of your mouth. Yeah. And that, that yeah. was just a little bit too much when I'm already ample as I want to be. <laughs> and you either love it or you hate it, right? So. Yeah, I, I want to get heavy off of chocolate. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's my I. chosen um, obesity method is lots and lots as, of chocolate. That's do I. So so thank you so much for turning the tables on this episode of, of Cherry Hotness, Lita. I, I, I know your story and you and I have been friends now for a few years and it's it, it, I found your story to be really inspiring, really engaging. Um, it, I, I see so much of my own life and your life in so many ways, despite the fact that we have a very, very different approach to life. It just shows that, that our, our, the things we have in common are far more common than the things we have in contrast. Right? So I thought it'd be a good idea to hear from you. And I, I think the way that I'd like to do the format is I'd like to talk about the day that we met and talk about kind of like how that whole thing came together and then go back. We'll do the, the Marty McFly back in time thing and talk about how Lita Green came from being a trucker's daughter who spent a lot of time at the TA centers of America and flying Jays to being hotness. I think that's a cool story. And I want other people to know that story. And then we're going to talk about the future of what you're working on and where we're going with all of this and probably a, uh, a not too uh, humble plea to the listeners to continue to listen and subscribe and like and comment and share and squee and kvetch and all of that on the podcast. So you have to teach me how to squee and kvetch. Oh, it's it's not difficult. It's not difficult. Okay. That's that's definitely that's definitely Patreon content, though. We'll, okay, we'll, okay. We'll save that for later. That so. sounded like a tech thing. <clears throat> it it is. It is. By the way, listeners, Patreon content. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the day that we met. So I'll, I'll start it out. Um, I was working for uh, a different client at the time. Unbeknownst to me, you were also a a, a client of this client. So this was a. Uh, this was an after-school tutoring program that my daughter was enrolled in and your son was enrolled in. And they hired Van Garrett Media to do some marketing videos, so testimonial videos from teachers and from the parents and all that. We did a whole slew of them. It was a great project. It really had a lot of fun. And you were one of the parents who were giving a testimonial for this organization because they'd been very effective for your kids. And uh, you and I met and I, I was behind the camera and the it was a great experience. And I'm going to turn it over to you to tell because you're much better at this part than I am. So go. Well, this is the part where I'm tooting my own horn where you were like, 
you, you have been in front of a camera before you are very good at this. Cause I just sat down and was like, okay. And then I believe I told you not to have my, my chin being an unflattering pose. Cause that, that's something I remember instructing you on. And uh, you said, you're really good at this. And I said, yeah, I've done it a few times. And then you called me up after and we exchanged information and you said, I'd love to get to know you better and to do some networking and go to lunch. And I said, oh, that's, I appreciate the invitation, but I don't go to lunch with men because I'm a happily married woman. And, uh, you know, I'm incredibly good looking <laughs> and possibly true, true. flirtatious appearing. And so I just don't like it to be confusing for people or to send out any of the wrong signals. And you said, oh, no, no, mm-hmm. I'd be bringing my business partner and wife. And I love that mm-hmm. because the respect that you had for your wife and how you said things and that you didn't push on my boundaries. Because sometimes people will do that. Like, oh, are you insecure yeah. in your marriage? I'm like, what is, what, what kind of weirdness is that? So we yeah, went to lunch. Right. And you actually followed through on what you said you wanted. Were asking me questions, and and I'm, mm-hmm. I was asking you questions. You guys kept turning it back to me, and really working to get to know my business. And I proposed this idea that I've kind of been thinking. And Shayla actually got teary eyed, and it was the uh-huh. share your hotness, which was then going to be a video series, which is mm-hmm. you know grown because of you guys pushing me into the podcast, yeah, and yeah. um. And then you were like, well, it was a great lunch. Thank you so much. So you're wonderful. It's great to know you. And I was like, wait, wait, because I had been needing a media company. I had been needing something as a speaker and author to help me balance it all and to send Mm -hmm. out the right messages that I wanted. And whenever I had talked to people, they would either tell me it was a terrible idea or they would be (laughs) like, well, how are you going to make money with it? What's exactly the ROI? And I'm like, not everything has to have an ROI, does it? Maybe it's just mm-hmm. putting good content out there. Mm-hmm. And absolutely. And you guys are like, I think it's brilliant. And I was like, well, please work with me. And then I think we ended the meeting with me on my knees begging you guys, right? <laughs> there was no, there was no on the knees. Your 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 dignity is well intact, my friend. No, <laughs> uh, I I you know I, I I say that I asked to work with you. Um, which is which was true in my intentions, right? My my intentions were to get to know you in order to work with you because <clears throat> I found you to be this incredibly engaging, bright, wonderful human that I wanted very much to work with. Um, but you can't come to the table in a in a meeting like that ready to pitch. You've got to be able to establish trust. You got to be able to establish rapport. And I knew that if we stuck around and showed you our real selves, that one of two things would happen. You'd either say, yeah, I want to work with these folks or no, go pound sand. Either way, that would have been cool. That would have been okay. Or want yeah. to refer you to people. Indeed, right? Yeah. But when well, you, I guess those are two extremes, but yeah. Right, but when, <laughs> but when you pitch without getting to know people and without sincerely learning about them, you come yep. off swarmy. It's true. Yeah. And it's people true. You think come off they're just concerned being, about money. Yeah, exactly. People think that they're being power, power business people, but you're blowing out relationships before they've even started. Precisely. Yeah. And, and that value set, once again, just shows that it, we're good to work together because that was also how you came to the table. You wanted to get to know us. You wanted very much to do the same. You had the same intentions we had with you of just wanting to broaden your network with individuals that you found interesting and appealing. And uh, <clears throat> that has, in our, in our case, it's turned into a wonderful working relationship. I, you, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say you're my favorite client because I might be having clients listen, but I might say you're my favorite client offline. So okay. to all my other I'll, favorite clients listening, 
I'm your I'm favorite right client times. named Lita. <laughs> yes, very much. Yes. No, okay. I, I love this. I love this relationship because it is so easy. Uh, Shayla and I talk often about the nature of work in relationships and the best ones are the ones that are frictionless. The best ones are the ones that just simply glide together and it's everything just kind of moves and goes. And even if you have things that are kind of difficult to discuss or maybe a truths that are, are, are difficult to, to share, you still come to the table ready to do it and you still do it because it's the right thing. And because ultimately, you know, it's going to be the best thing for your relationship. And that's what I really appreciate and adore about you, my friend. And this working relationship of the last few years has just been wonderful. So thank you. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for all of this. And I appreciate that you actually tell me where I need to get better because it would be embarrassing if you're not growing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we would be doing a disservice to you personally and professionally if that were the case. So, so, all right. So that's, that's us. That's, that's okay. Us I'm super let's, nervous. Let's, so know, scared and nervous. I'm going to be asked all this these is, questions. You got this microphone in front of you. You're not used to this at all. I know. Yes. It's just, terrified. It's just stretch for you. I'll, 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 I'll guide you through. Don't worry. Okay. Thank you. <clears throat> <laughs> Absolutely. So, okay, so let's go back in time. So uh, you were, you know, like David Copperfield, you, you were born, you grew up. I don't want to do that. I want to hear about, I want to, yes. yeah. In, in poverty in Victorian baby. England. There you go, right? You got it. I'm glad you got the well, joke. That's the only like, accent I can do. Poverty. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if I try to sound upper crust, I sounds like a very bad version of Mary, um, my fair lady, so you couldn't even. Are you, yeah. having a, are you having a stroke right now? Is that what's happening? <laughs> is that, oh, that's an accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry. David Copperfield, I was just zoning my inner poor young child. <laughs> I know. No, see, people often, when I make that reference, people go, the, the illusionist? I'm like, no, the Dickens book, guys. Yeah, okay, like, and I have a rich yeah. uncle somewhere, hopefully, maybe. <laughs> Don't we all? Hopefully, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So let's go back in time. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about the leader green that was a trucker's daughter that grew up in various, like going from truck stop to truck stop. I want to hear about those early memories of yours. So tell me what, like, where did your, what was your father's usual routes? Where did you go? Talk to me about the, the flora and fauna of humanity that you met through uh, truck stops. Hit me with it. I want to hear all of it. Okay, well, the first thing my mind goes to is when you're asking where my dad's regular routes were is he was an independent contractor, basically. Oh. So he didn't work for a company. It was his company. And our phone number, I can still remember, 801-375-1515. Best number ever. Could possibly also be a porn star number, but that was that's not where the story goes. And so my dad was networking and in a sense, it was kind of taught me how to early connect with people, never leave a job not well done because mobile home parks live in people with mobile home parks. And so they would refer Monty Mons mobile home service. And we kids were the work crew. And if it was a double wide, meaning two trailers that are attached together, my mom would be the other one that would haul the other trailer. So oh, wow. there was actually a newspaper article about my mom because her CB handle, that's the radios that truckers talk mm -hmm. back and forth with each other. I know you know, but just in case people who are not familiar with the trucking world, um, my mom's handle was the lady because she always wore skirts and she always wore Very those, nice. you know, three tiered skirts that you will see like Native American wear or the seventies. Right. Mm -hmm. So her handle was the lady and this, this, uh, newspaper article literally has my mother's skirt draped kind of over the, the gas tank 
as she descends out of the diesel. And I just thought that was pretty high class. That was pretty cool stuff. <laughs> that is really cool stuff. So, so your father was a, a hauler of mobile homes and he moved right. from one park to another. And we would, we were the ones that would go underneath the trailer. So one of my earliest memories is hauling a cinder block and mm -hmm. I'm almost as tall as the, the cinder block is like to my chest when it's at its height. So I'm like three years old, right? And how smart I felt instead of dragging the brick along the ground where the holes were facing up, mm -hmm. but to haul them with the side smooth on the bottom. I just remember feeling like brilliant. And so it was hauling tools and bricks underneath trailers. I know full-grown adults that wouldn't that, that wouldn't make that distinction. So myself included in that, I'd probably be like, why is this thing so hard to, oh, and then you'd come along and like turn it over and be like, Chris, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was learning uh, early uh, friction, right? Yeah. So, and I remember having such a great sense of pride because my dad had little nicknames for a lot of the tools. And I was really good at bringing the right tools to him. And if I was good at it or not, I felt like I was. Yeah. So I grew up with a, a real sense of how important work is and to work hard. That's beautiful. I love it. And so how, how many years was your father, was your father a trucker? Like, I assume that he's probably retired now. He, he retired and did a little bit of pilot car driving, which drove him nuts because oh, wow. pilot car drivers were the trucks, the pilot cars, the car in front of the wide load. And it would yep. drive him nuts because these truckers were not as good as my dad. But he just just a handful of years ago um, retired. So my whole childhood. So you've been working, working, hauling these these mobile homes all of your child. That's that's amazing. Yeah. And so you y'all were. So I assume that this was coast to coast, right? If somebody needed it, they, there was a, a no. So now, talk to me about like the, the regions West. you worked in. So you know you make less per mile than you make for the setup. So the closer he could be the home, the more money he would make. So yes, there was that time we went to California and my dad said, I'm going to be in a town called Anaheim. And we were like, okay. And he's like, that's where Disneyland is. And we were like, what? <laughs> and so they piled all of us in the truck, which is not uncommon. And this is, my dad did not have one of those fancy trucks with the sleeper for most of our childhood. So it would be the three boys and the two dogs all piled into a cab, one seat, typically is how we traveled. But um, he said, if we set up these couple of mobile homes, you know, these du this double wide quickly, then we could spend a day in Disneyland. And we set a new standard of how quickly we could set up a mobile home so that we could go to <laughs> Disneyland. Yeah. And what year was this? I have no idea. I was really little. <laughs> I'm sorry, was, I was not was prepared for this ago. question. <laughs> That's okay. That's it would okay. have been late 70s. Late 70s. If, if not or like 81, 80, 79, somewhere in there. But going to Disneyland was not a common thing back then. I mean, not people might go once or twice in their life, right? So this in our minds was the one time we would be going to Disneyland. Oh, so Amazing. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. So so you spent a lot of time in the in the region of the West. And yeah. you got to see this amazing 
we'll call it cast of humanity, right? Because I, the, 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 the very small amount of time that I've spent in truck stops, either you know, on road trips or things like that. For, for listeners, I, I live in Vancouver, Washington. So I <clears throat> go back and forth to the Salt Lake Valley fairly often. And so I know I-84 and I-15 by the uh, back of my hand. And so I spent a little bit of time at Love's Truck Stops and Flying J's and Travel Centers of America and various other mom and pop organizations. And you do, you see the most interesting cast of humanity, people from all walks of life, all shapes and sizes, all colors under the sun. And that must have been a very informative and very formative time in your life for kind of seeing and building who you are. I'd like to hear about that a little bit. Uh, thank you, because this isn't a question I get asked often, and it is very much a formative of how I see the world. My mom actually walked, um, not with Martin Luther King, but walked in the Freedom Walks. Really? Yes. And she wow. was a young rebel, right, for her time, and really believed in this idea that we were all God's children. And then my dad's religion that my mom converted to believes that we're all God's children. And so when we're going to these truck stops, um, back when I was a kid, they were not as nice as they are now. Mm -hmm. They were much more grimy and you would almost see like families in the station wagon almost huddled in fear as they navigated them. And now they kind of divide like trucks this way and cars this way, but it used to be often from the same pump, but just different sides of the pump, right? So the diesels yeah. would be on one side and the cars would be on the other. So you would see the families with the lot lizards, which are women that are looking to find a new location and using their bodies to finance that relocation. So nice way of saying a prostitute, but sure. yeah, I yeah. saw my father treat the woman in the station wagon and the lot lizard the same. I wow. saw everybody treated exactly the same, regardless of how clean or smelly um, color of skin had no reference and how people were treated. It never even occurred to me that there were, I just saw everyone as the human race. And mm -hmm. I saw my dad treat the bum in the truck stop that was panhandling, probably for money to get some gas or something. The same as he would treat where we grew up in Provo, Utah, our house was in a very wealthy neighborhood. And there would be doctors and lawyers and presidents of universities that were in our neighborhood. And my dad treated everyone the same. Mm -hmm. And my mom would invite them all, all of them for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, like everybody. Wonderful. So I yeah. didn't grow up with this. There are rough people or there are bad people, mm -hmm. even though I knew that there were individuals that made bad choices, <laughs> obviously. Mm -hmm. I oh, did. Yeah. It wasn't something you made that assessment by looking at someone. Yeah, that's that's great, and that's that's something that, that you know. It's it's interesting. My mother, for all of her faults, of which there were many, <clears throat> kind of like did abandoning you. Similar. That one. Uh, you know we. <laughs> oh wait, I'm sorry. This was your interview. <laughs> <laughs> she, didn't, she 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 was becoming, as you would say. Yes, she was becoming. She was becoming. <laughs> Uh, probably still is becoming, um, but that's okay. But, uh, but no, she, for all of her faults and of which she had many, um, that's one of the things she did as well. She didn't treat anybody differently based on class, based on race, religion, anything. Um, my, my mother was very much the same. We, we went to, I remember it distinctly seeing, oh wow, seeing Aladdin at the Redwood Drive-In Theater when I was in West Valley City, Utah, when I was probably 11, 12 years old, and a whole horde 
of bikers on their Harleys, on their choppers, come riding in to see Aladdin, of all things, in the early 90s. And this was after the 80s with the whole, you know, uh, the, the, the news being overblown about the Hells Angels and the biker gangs of the 70s. They thought it was still happening. And, you know, a whole bunch. Of, and so I, as, as an avid watcher of 2020 and Dateline at the tender age of 11, <laughs> I was scared out of my gourd thinking we were going to be cut up and like sold off for scrap meat or something. And mom goes over and starts high-fiving these guys and starts talking with them and grabs a beer out of the beer cooler and, and pulls me up and said, hey, this is my kid. And then tells me later, don't you ever judge anybody on the basis of what they look like. These were good people. They, they, they just here to watch a movie, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I love hearing that. It's very similar to- Everybody to loves a good Aladdin. Good, good musical, <laughs> good art, Absolutely. story arc, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah people Absolutely. from all walks of life. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I grew I up and then I also experienced, um, you know, we looked, we were the people that people might look at and go, wow, that's, you know, unclean or whatever. I'm not sure what the phrase would be. So I use biblical terms, <laughs> right? But I experienced having people look at me and look at and not know why they were looking at me like that. And not and taking time before I figured out that there are people who looked at people and made a judgment about who they were based off what they looked like. I remember probably being around 10 or 11 when that occurred to me that that was a thing. Amazing. And I mean, is there a specific story around that one instance that you yeah, want to share? And if not, I'll just, I'll just cut this part out. It's okay. Um, I was, I was, ironically, I was at church for, um, because we would, we would go to church and we often didn't bring nice clothes with us because anything you brought into the truck would get messy. My dad's truck is like an archaeological dig of the meals that he has had and the, you know, the good times he had pistachios, the, the poor times he had sunflower seeds, right? So it is just this, this dig of and laundry and all those kind of things. So ours wasn't one of these like nice, pristine kept trucks that got rubbed down. No. So anything you brought into the truck would be damaged. And so the only thing we would take with us is work clothes. And one time we were sitting in church in a different place. And I must've been, like I said, you know, 10 or 11 and our hands were stained like a mechanics, which incidentally my hands were stained mechanic-like until my sophomore year in college. It took two years before I didn't look like I had just moved a tire. And I'm in my, you know, the overgrown, the clothes that are way too big for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there in church and this girl is turning around and looking at me and looking at me with this really weird look and then looking back at her mom and her mom's whispering something and then she's looking at me and just this interchange. And it was clear to me that the adult was not saying, you know, don't make a judgment. Don't look at this person badly. The adult was reinfirming with her. This is something to be feared and uncomfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And this and was, so I, this, was this in Utah? This, I don't know what state it was in, you know, because we were just all over the place, but I just have that feeling. Sure. But it also taught me that, you know, because I already knew that God looked upon everyone equally, <laughs> but not everybody who sat in church understood God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say that's probably true today. It's been certainly been a great number of years since I've been to church, but I, I would imagine that probably hasn't changed much. <laughs> no, I, I very, think... varying, varying degrees exist. Yeah. The, and, but, you know, we can't, 
you can't judge people by, okay, lifestyle. Like you and I have different lifestyles, but I'm looking for that light in your eye, that integrity in how you choose to live your day-to-day life. And that Mm -hmm. we, yes, we are judged by our actions, but also our intention, right? And so if you're sitting in church for the appearance of looking good, that concerns me more than someone says, this is my lifestyle. This is who I am. And they're doing it with integrity. And so I'm looking for really the light in the eyes, the feeling I get in the gut off of people. And somebody can have all the right, you know, you know, with in quotation marks appearance, but there isn't that shine in the eye and you get that feeling in your gut and you Mm -hmm. kind of feel like they're not really trying to communicate with me. Those are people that I will, I would make a judgment call on of not being as close to or not pursuing a closer connection with them but not because of their lifestyle or what they look like or if they have dirty hands. Of course. Yeah, of course. And, and then those people exist, of course, outside of the, the realm of church. That's just humanity. That's, right. just, that's just who we are. Right. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Now, now the, the theme of religion, the theme of your relationship with uh, your, your, your creator and your higher power is very important to you. I know this. I love that. The fact that you have that relationship, I think it's fantastic. So you've been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints for your entire life. Is that correct? Yes. So I grew okay. up in Provo, Utah. Mm-hmm. And so Provo, Utah at the time, I think was not like 99.9% Mormon or the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day mm-hmm. Saints. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call my home an adherent home, you know? Um, so, but it, it was, you know, neighbors and Sunday school leaders that really pulled me into the depth of the religion and the life circumstances and how I discovered that God was real. And that's something okay. that every individual has to have themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I bring this up because it is such a, an, a, an inseparable part of your personality, this relationship that you have with with your spirituality and with your religion and with and with God, I think it's a beautiful thing. I full full disclosure for the audience, I'm an agnostic. I'm I'm more of a pantheist. Google it, uh, but really, I mean, a- agnostic is really the best way to describe it. Um, and I so I love hearing about this because it's very different from my own re- uh, life experience. And I think it's equally as valid as important as any other pursuit of this sort of knowledge and this sort of understanding about one's own humanity and divinity. So I love hearing about how this interplays with a person's life. And so you grew up in this, in, in this uh, religion. It's, it's a massive part of your life. Has there ever been a point in your life where you have felt distanced from your relationship with God? Absolutely. And I want to, I want to preface it with this. Sure. I see a relationship with God as separate from religion. Religion <laughs> is a vehicle or a tool as an accountability method to bring you closer to God. So for me, I'm sitting in church and I'm thinking over my week, how did I do? Right. So I have these tenets of my faith that are like benchmarks. So if you think of Mm -hmm. it like business planning, okay. So I'm growing and becoming more along these benchmarks, but the whole entire point of religion in my view is if it doesn't bring you to your God, then you Mm -hmm. have just gone through a lot of rituals it's true yeah right so a common phrase is you know sitting in a car sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car any more than sitting in a church pew makes you x y or z christian or muslim or whatever right 
And I love that. That's great. <laughs> so um, I actually, in my second book, share this story. And so I'll make it a little bit shorter. Have you read oh, my your second, second book? book? Your second oh. book, Me Too? Um, yeah, Love Me Too. Uh-huh. Love Me Too, excuse me. Your second oh, yes. book, Love Me Too. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm aware of the second book by best-selling author Lita Green, Love Me Too, that's available for from LitaGreen.com or from Amazon.com. Get your copy before the Christmas rush completely depletes her of any copies. Please continue, Lita. And I would say like Doritos, don't worry, we'll make more. But, <laughs> you know. We'll put, a, we'll, we'll put a link to the book in the show notes to all of you who don't already have a copy. And I know most of you do, but there's one or two of you out there that don't. So that way you can order your own. Please continue. So uh, because my, my family wasn't particularly adherent and there's a lot of different factors that go into it, which are not part of today's thing, right? Understood. But um, it wasn't, I didn't have this just calm knowing that God was real. And in my later years, I would be kind of upset of how God revealed himself to me until my second book, um, because people would kind of be like, you know, they talk about, you know, that moment when you first knew that God was real and people would have kind of this sweet little smile, this knowing little yeah. smile as they looked around the room. And I'd be like, not the time to share. Not <laughs> your yeah. story is not like the other. So, you know, don't, don't share right now because this is not the story the teacher is asking for. And when I was writing Love Me Too, and I write to avatars like a lot of authors do, because it helps you be more conversational. And that's how I write, where I'm not like trying to impress you with my big vocabulary, which isn't as big as Chris's. He always teaches me new it's words. A, it's impressive. It's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> your vocabulary or my ability to Google words. <laughs> your vocab, your vocabulary, Lita, please. <laughs> right. Just had to clarify there. So um, I, my brother had gotten involved in the drug culture and he and his friends were over at the house. My mom and dad were gone, which because my dad's job was literally by definition being gone and my mom would need to be gone a lot. And then she also had to, would work several different jobs. Just, you know, my parents were working to survive. Right. And um, I was already, uh, my second book is on um, talking about how I overcame being sexual molested from two and a half to 14. So I was already being molested when this experience was happening, that these boys are high and there's yeah. this, I don't know if they actually stated, go get her, or I knew they were coming for me. And the yeah. man that was already molesting me told me he loved me, you know, I was his everything. And so he wasn't physically hurting me which sure. he was hurting me, but more my soul and my feelings, but you know, my body, he wasn't bruising me. He wasn't beating me up. And I knew that these boys were not going to be gentle. Yes. And I ran, I started running up into these woods that were by our home. And I was very familiar with the path and the boys I realized had surrounded me because there were several of them in this little path of these little patch of trees. It was pretty small. And mm -hmm. I realized I was surrounded and fear and I, I crumpled down and I was like, mm -hmm. dear God, dear God. And I don't even know why I was saying that. And, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, in, in most religions, you know, using God without putting it into prayer is considered on the line of blasphemy. So it wasn't that I would hear people being like, dear God, dear God. Right. But I was panting and just saying, God, 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 and just terrified because I knew 
how awful what was coming came. And this boy who's behind me, the other boy, and I'm feeling surrounded and I'm literally just gearing myself up to deal with this physical assault that's going to come. And the boy stops kind of close to me and his pant leg almost, I can feel the whoosh of it by my arm. And he says, I can't see her. And how really? could he not see me? I'm breathing, I'm panting, hyperventilating, afraid. Mm -hmm. And I have been mouthing, God, 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 God. And mm -hmm. he just, mm -hmm. right by me. And in that moment, wow. I knew. Wow. Something had protected me. And that's the moment that I knew that God was real. And the feelings I had as this, you know, eight-year-old little kid there and just realizing, okay, this is a real thing. And all the feelings of what does that mean for my life and how do I, it changed a direction from feeling frankly, like a victim and um, worthless and having what we would now describe as suicidal feelings to I now was accountable to this knowledge that there was something bigger than me and that thing, that entity cared about me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean I can tell you what God looks like. I believe that yeah. in heavenly parents, meaning a mother and a father that look out for their children. And so God may be male, could be a combination of male and female, but I feel like it's a human form that cares for me even more than my earthly parents. Mm -hmm. And I know, and that's the moment. And so that was not the one to share with the gentle knowing nods. And yes, I know that moment because it was a horrific moment. But I think oh, yeah. with the circumstances of my life, that became a gift because I couldn't deny it. I needed something that was a punch. Yeah. Because maybe the gentle and, knowings and, had been pushed out. Well, in a moment like that, the gentle knowing probably would not manifest itself or be nearly as impactful as, as, as a spiritual shakabuku, as many drivers said in, uh, in uh, Gross Point Blank, a spiritual swift kick to the head. And I can always um, count on you for a good um, pop culture reference. <laughs> Even if that pop culture reference, 20 years ago. Reference. That was a cultural <laughs> reference from my... Reference. Or reference. Oh. <laughs> I get her. Are you having a stroke? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> wah, wah. She's, she's attempting accents again. <laughs> no, I, there's so often that you do hear so many stories, uh, having grown up in the same culture, that you, you hear so many stories of, of people who, who do have the light in their eyes and they talk about this sort of thing. But you don't often hear a person tell a story that has that level of impact about the moment that their life changed for the better, right? The moment it was a, a, a tumultuous, horrendous thing that you were put in the middle of that you were, uh, we were indeed a victim of. And you found, you had this experience that profoundly changed you for the rest of your life. And also not only instilled this belief in your higher power, but also really changed fundamentally you at your core to become the person you are today. That I, I, you telling that story, I can trace darn near 80% of what I know about you and the qualities that I know and love and Leslie to Green back to that one incident. 
like you talk about how this became this became your siren call your calling card to be a person who was not going to be victimized throughout her life all of those things that i know about you to be true today i can see a thread running back to that one experience i think that's just fascinating it's amazing and you know i joke now that i think god set me up because i never <laughs> imagined um until i was 36 years old that i would ever stand on a stage and speak i never went to hearing a speaker and going i can do that i'm a delight at a party like never, never occurred to me that I would have any form of my life that would be public in any way. Yeah. However, when, you know, that is now, you know, which is in the story in a minute, right? I'll let you lead the lead us chronologically. Right. But, um, when that time came, I could look back and say, it's stories like that, that even if I didn't always share those, I mean, I put it in my second book, but it's not one that I per se speak about. Right. Mm -hmm. um, giving me those very clear moments gives me the confidence to stand up and teach certain principles because in that moment I learned that I had value mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in that moment I learned that there was no power in being a victim because I was ready to give up mm -hmm. and the power of fear and the contrasting power of redemption or re re um, being rescued right there's so mm -hmm. many those are powerful lessons regardless of our life circumstances that we need to know that we have value and that we are worth not giving up on. Mm -hmm. And that there's something better, something, the light, the joy, whatever word you want to put on it, be, beyond our struggle. And so when I'm there selling to people, oh, you know, all these principles, if I didn't have that core foundation these bricks that built me it would be harder to pull that thread the share your hotness podcast is produced by van garrett media lita green is the host and creator of the podcast chris van garrett is the editor producer and music director shayla dawn is our research coordinator join us next week for another episode of the share your hotness podcast thanks for listening this podcast produced by Van Garrett Media.